Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to This Week in Mormons, the Sisters Edition with Ariane Smith and Tiffany Hales. We are here for our monthly podcast yep. to update you all things from our perspective in the world of members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. That is right. We're back for the month of September. Okay, yes. I haven't asked you about this yet, but did you listen to the podcast last week? OMG. I loved the podcast last week. I loved it so much. And this is not tooting our, our own horn. It was not yeah. our podcast. Yes. No, 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 but no, no, no. Jeff last week on the Twin Podcast interviewed this professor, Dr. Matt Harris, who's written a book about Elder Benson. Yes. And he studied Elder Benson and how he affected the church towards like political political issues. Matters. Yes. It was fascinating. It was so fascinating. Like I just wanted it to go on and on and on. An hour was not enough. The professor he had on was so knowledgeable and so well-spoken. Yes. I think it is probably one of the best podcasts, if not the best podcast that Twim has ever done. I thought so too. It was so, my, my favorite interview that Jeff has ever done. Yeah. And I felt like it explained so much of my childhood. Exactly. <laughs> like things that I had been taught by yes. rogue Sunday school teachers. Exactly. Now I can pinpoint pinpoint where, where the rogue came from. Where the rogue Sunday school teacher got that idea. <laughs> well, and considering that I'm 10 years older than you, it explained even more for me. In fact, after I listened to it, now my husband is not a big podcast guy. I said, dude, you have to listen to this podcast. Uh -huh. And so I made him get in the truck on, I can't remember if it was Thursday night or Friday night, uh -huh. and we drove around for an hour <laughs> while I made him listen to this podcast. Okay, and what did he think? Oh, he was completely fascinated by it, too, because he grew up with those same myths, you right. know, that we had heard, you know, the white horse prophecy and right. some of the other things. Um, and so he had grown up with that, and so it was very interesting and fascinating for him to see where that all originated from. The other thing as well that just surprised me was the ripple effect of President Benson in terms of cultural things right. in the church. Not per se doctrinal things, but cultural things. And it also fascinated me as well that, um, uh, you know, that they would get up, you know, 40, 50, 60 years ago from the pulpit and say political things that there is no way you could get away with right. that today. Or when he said in conference, when President Benson, although he was Elder Benson at the time, said in conference that um, there are Judases among us, even in priesthood leadership. <laughs> and he was referring to another apostle, Hubie Brown. And I'm like, hello, we don't do that today. I know. It was amazing. <laughs> so anyways, we... We went off on a tangent here, but if you have not listened to last week's interview on TWIM, go back and listen because it's really good. Oh, absolutely. So what's going on in your life? Okay. Well, as you know, I dropped my daughter off at college because yes. um, you went with me and mm -hmm. it was fun. We made a girl's trip out of it and helped her put a room together and it's uh you know, this is the first kid out of my kids that I've, I mean, I've taken several, two to the MTC. Mm -hmm. This is the first time I've taken one to college. Right. It's a similar experience to taking to the MTC, except, you know, she FaceTimes me probably two or three times a week. And mm -hmm. so I get to have a lot of communication with her. I'm planning on going down, but, um, 
you know, it's the best worst thing ever is what I say, because I'm so happy that she's in college and I'm so happy she's doing what she's doing because that's where she needs to be. But it's also hard to admit, oh my gosh, you know, she's an adult. She's going out now. She's not under my little cocoon and under the umbrella of my house. And right. So, but it, it sure is fun to um, watch all the experiences she's, she's having. In some ways, I, I look at the experiences she's having and I'm like, dang, I'm jealous. I want her life. She is having so much fun. She really is. Which is exactly what she should be doing. Mm-hmm. But uh, we are we are missing her. Her little sister really misses her, which as you can relate to, yes. because you were the little sister when I went to college. I was. I think I was in first, was I in first grade when you went to college? I thought I, you were older than that. I think it was first grade. Oh, really? Anyway, I used to just cry and cry. <laughs> <laughs> so I can relate. Well, at least her little sister's 12, so she has a little more ability to cope. (laughs) That's right. Okay, so I have to quick update on something our steak did. I think we talked about this last month. We did. We talked about it in our podcast Um, in August. Because it happened in August. Our steak did this tabernacle. Um, Like, they put together an actual life-size ancient tabernacle. From the Old Testament. Yes. Old Testament tabernacle. Yes. And this is something they did. They built it, I don't know, I guess several years ago for a youth conference. And then they brought it back again this summer for another youth conference. And then they decided to stick it out in the community up for the public to come through. Yes. And do tours. Now, did you, I presume, I did not get a chance to go to it. It was during probably my most busy time of the year. Did you go to it? I went. It was, I mean, I knew it would be a big deal because everything my steak does is a big deal. (laughs) Well, you know. We've mentioned before, my steak is extra. Your steak is extra. And when you moved into the ward, you were told, welcome to Zion. (laughs) So I knew it would be a big thing, but holy cow, it was like temple open house-ish. As far really? as like the production. Okay. <laughs> Describe, please. So you went, you, so they had it up on the grounds of Sensi, which is a big local company yes. that's owned by a member of our stake. And they have ample room on their lawn and in their lobby. And in, so you went into and their- oodles of parking. Yes. So you went into their building and there were all these displays of, you know, ancient temple clothing and posters and signage. So all of that was actually in, in the Sensi building. In the building. And then okay. there was a like mini replica of the ancient tabernacle okay. to look at. And then there was a video to watch, like a nine minute video, which we actually skipped. Okay. This is the problem. I okay. went, I went on a Saturday with all of my children. Okay. Because I was told this is a family friendly event. Well, and you would hope that it would be a family friendly event. <laughs> I did not realize how long of a family-friendly event this was going to be. (laughs) So, I mean, it was pretty crowded, so that's part of why it took a long time. But then, along with the display inside and the video inside, outside, they had all of these booths set up on the lawn where they were talking about the symbolism of the temple, and they had live sheep for the kids to see, and they had grape. You could crush grapes with your feet. (laughs) Oh, my. And they talked about the sacrament and the bread, and there were just all these individual stations. So we got our family through the inside display. Already, I was like, we're skipping the video. We got to go to the tour because the the video was inside, too. At this point, my kids are already losing it. We've only been there like 10 minutes, but clearly this is over their heads. 
So, okay. Which maybe I should have considered before okay. dragging my family. But so, you didn't know what you were getting into. No, I had no idea yeah. what to expect. So then we go down on the lawn and we kind of breeze through all the booths because the booths were, there was a person speaking at every booth, giving, okay. a, giving a lesson on the symbolism. Okay. And there were chairs. And then after you listened to the symbolism, then you got to stomp, stomp on the grapes. So I'm like, no, we have to skip this too. We can't sit through these little lessons. We got to get to the main event here. So how long do you think so, like the little presentation was at each booth? I don't know. I'm guessing five minutes or less. Okay. But, but still that and, adds up. Yeah. And these are all people from our stake that they've wow. re- recruited to do this. Because they did this. Didn't they do this over the course of about 10 days? Yeah. it was. I think it was almost two weeks okay. that, they, that they had it up and they had just different stakes and wards from the Valley came. And then of course the general public. So we skipped through all the little stations and went to get in the area, the gathering area to go inside the tabernacle. Okay. So how long was that line to get inside the tabernacle? It wasn't a line. There was a group kind of congregated. And before you went into the tabernacle, there was a presentation on the clothing. So we had to sit under a tent and listen to a presentation on the clothing. And then our whole group, Went into the tabernacle, and then within the tabernacle, there were three different presentations. There okay, was- can I backtrack here? When they say a presentation on the clothing, were there people dressed in the tabernacle no. in clothing? They just talked about they clothing? They had like a um, mannequin. A mannequin. That okay. had replicas of the ancient clothing. Okay, on. okay. So anyway, so then we finally get into the tabernacle. At this point, it's midday, and it's starting to get hot. And my kids are losing it. Okay. So there's a nice young man giving a presentation about the altar. It's very crowded. So I couldn't couldn't see him. My kids couldn't see him. Is he mic'd up? Can you hear him? No, not mic'd up. So couldn't hear him. And so then we went into, uh, they talked about the washing. There was like the little washing. And then you went actually inside the inner part of the temple. And they talked about incense. And we were squeezed in there like sardines. Oh, my. (laughs) And I had a baby in a stroller, and I had a nine-year-old who was losing it. The five-year-old was actually holding it together better than the nine-year-old. Interesting. Anyway, so then you went into the Holy of Holies, which was another room in the back of the temple. By even then, smaller? Yes, even smaller. Oh, my. By then, I was like, I'm out. <laughs> and my nine-year-old was already like, I'm out. She ran out like a minute before me, and I was like, well, I'm going to go chase the nine-year-old. <laughs> so did your husband so, stay in there with the 12-year-old? He stayed in there with the other two, and I okay. went out with the baby and the nine-year-old. Anyways. At this point in time, I am sweaty, I am hot, I am mad, I am not spiritually uplifted. My nine-year-old is having a full-blown tantrum. <laughs> oh, dear. My baby's okay as long as I keep him moving in the okay. store. Anyway, so I decided when it was all over that I might have appreciated it if I had gone on a date night without my children. <laughs> Uh, that seems fair. But I also decided I might not have. And I think that's what bothered me the most. The whole rest of the day, I felt like, why did I get nothing out of this? Interesting. Because I had this feeling like, even if I didn't have kids, would it have been faith-promoting yeah. for me? And yeah. for me personally, I don't know if it would have. But I know it was for a lot of people. And, uh-huh. But that made me feel like there was something wrong with me because mm-hmm. everybody in the stake has been talking about this wonderful experience. And we've been having lessons on this tabernacle for like weeks and weeks. And everybody's saying how amazing it uh-huh. is and how meaningful it makes their temple experience. Uh-huh. And I'm going, really? <laughs> so the whole rest of the day, I was like, well, what's wrong with me? 
What is wrong with me? And then I came to peace with it. And I decided, okay, so you know what? How did you come to peace with it? This is fascinating. I know. <laughs> I was, how did you come to peace with this? I decided, I just had to kind of look at me and my personality. And I decided, you know what? I think it has to do with, like, I don't love ancient history. Ah. Like, I am just not, it's never been my cup yeah. of tea. In college, when, you, when we studied that, that was not my thing. Like, yeah. U- U.S. history? I love. Yeah. <laughs> Ancient history, I struggle not with. So much. And maybe it's just because I never got into it. Well, I, you know, as I much. wondered when you were saying, you know, wasn't that meaningful to me? I, you know, I was kind of thinking the same thing. I was like, well, neither one of us are really scholars of the Old Testament. Don't right. spend a lot of time studying the Old Testament. I mean, a couple of years ago when I was gospel doctrine and we were teaching the Old Testament, I was like, huh, last time I did this was seminary. Right. You know, because again, it doesn't hold a particular degree. It's hard for me. Mm-hmm. It doesn't hold a degree of fascination. So I'm okay with that. Sounds right. like you're okay with that too. Yeah, I've, I'm coming to peace with this. That's just not my thing. But I know for a lot of people, it that is, is their thing. Okay. And they love it. And they find it very faith-promoting. And so, that's great for them. That was great. But I decided for me, no. Wasn't, okay. it wasn't really a faith-promoting experience. All right. But I also had my small children there, which could have been contributing could to have been. <laughs> You know, it made me think It's of, hard to feel the spirit when children are screaming. <laughs> they should have put a disclaimer that, like, you really need to be 12 years or old, older to uh-huh. understand, because it was so over my kid's head. Yeah. Even my 12-year-old. She, I mean, she could grasp yeah. it, but there is no way my little kids understood yeah. a thing they were talking yeah. They were just like, it's hot. These people, it, this is like church only outside. And like the symbolism and the things, it was, it, yeah. it just couldn't relate to them. So anyway. All right. Well, hey, thank you for that recap. I have, we haven't really talked about that. And I have been curious yeah. what your experience was since you had indicated last month that it was coming, yes. but it had not come yet. So it was quite the experience. Okay. For some people. <laughs> All right. Well, should we start off with some news stories since yes. that's what we are here to promote? Um, our first story tonight, we, you know, we've kind of broken it into sections. Our first section tonight is going to be a, a section on missionary stories. And our first story tonight is kind of a sad one. Um, you know, kind of, I, I can't believe we're starting off on a sad story. I know. But, uh, there are two missionaries who were serving in the Canada-Vancouver mission, and it was released today that they were involved in a very serious car accident on Friday. They were in a vehicle that was apparently uh, 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 collided with a truck, and it does not say who was at fault or what happened, but they said they sustained injuries that may be life-threatening. They're both 19 years old. One is from Arizona. One is from Colorado. And so um, just... Keep those missionaries in your thoughts and your prayers. Uh, that's really hard. You know, when you send your kid out on yeah. a mission, um, having a kid out on a mission right now, you kind of have the expectation that they're going to be watched over. Right. And for the most part, they are. But sometimes things happen. So. Yes. So anyway. everybody remember them in your prayers. Okay. Um, next story is. Now, this is hilarious. <laughs> this one's on a funny note. A funny note. We're bringing it up now. Yes. Two missionaries in Klamath Falls, or one missionary in Klamath 
No, is it two? two. No, there were six missionaries at the home. At the home. Two got injured. Two got injured. That's yes. right. In Klamath Falls, Oregon, these missionaries were at a house. They were helping with a service project. It doesn't say whether this was a member or a non-member. It doesn't say. But whoever the owner was in this house uh, took a gun out of a display case to show the missionary. <laughs> because that As seems you do. like a good idea. Hey, we've got 19, 18, and 19-year-olds here. Let's show them a gun. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, the gun apparently was loaded and discharged. On accident. On accident. On accident. This was not an intentional thing. Yes. So a nine-millimeter bullet went through the owner's hand and hit a missionary on the right forearm and then careened off the man's arm onto his collarbone before hitting a sister missionary in the abdomen. Okay, this This bullet was flying. (laughs) Like, this bullet is just kind of zigzagging. I know. And bouncing off everywhere. I mean, it's kind of crazy when you think it goes from the gun to a hand to the arm to the collarbone to an abdomen. Anyway, thank goodness everyone is fine. Otherwise, we would not be laughing about this. This is very true. Everyone is fine. No life-threatening injuries. um, But... Oh, that's going to be a good mission story to tell. Exactly. <laughs> I, and I'm going to say, as a mom of a missionary, I don't expect that my children is my child is going to come into contact with a bullet on I her know, mission I know, but your, your child is in Texas. My child is in Texas. So if anybody should be worrying about this, it should be it's, you. It's really true. I mean, that's the irony. This is in Oregon, the state that, you know, you used to live there. They, it's true. But it's Klamath Falls. They, they're rural. They they're, are, they're, they're, they're gun-loving people. Oh, yeah. They are gun-loving. Yes. Yeah. All right, so let's move on to our third missionary story. All right. Oh, this one is a fun one. This one is about some LDS missionaries that were caught on hidden camera helping a blind woman in Taiwan. A.K.A. candid camera style. Yes. So this was, someone was filming, they didn't know it. So these missionaries are on their P-Day and ended up being part of a hidden camera social experiment this is like my biggest fear. Because have you ever seen the guy on, I think he's on ABC. Oh, the what would you do guy? Yes, yes I've totally guy, seen that. Where they totally film people. Yeah. This is my biggest fear. Like, I would be horrified to be filmed on one of these things. <laughs> anyway, Would you be horrified that you're filmed or horrified that you might not behave in a way that would be socially appropriate? Uh, both. <laughs> See, I don't think you have to worry about that. I think I should worry about that a little bit more. But I I have to comment. One of the, oh, it looks like you highlighted what I was going to comment on. I'm going to let you comment on that because that's hilarious. So these missionaries are on their P-Day. So they're going to do some sightseeing in Taiwan. They're going to go see this big building. And then they admit that the part of the reason why they're going to go see this tallest building is because there's a Chili's nearby. And Chili has all-you-can-eat chips and salsa. Which played an equal role in their decision to go do this on P-Day. So, you know, the the tallest building or the chips and salsa, I'm pretty sure they just went for the chilies. I'm pretty sure they went for the all-you-can-eat chilies, chips and salsa. After they ate their chips and salsa at Chili's, they walked out and they saw a blind girl standing by herself next to a tree asking for help. And it says they noticed a lot of people walking by, not doing anything. Um, So they went and talked to her and asked her what she needed help with. And she wanted to go... She wanted to be guided over to a different area. Okay. So they helped her over there. And then she asked to take her pic- someone to take the picture with, with her them. on her phone. So they took a picture with her on her phone and took off. Had no idea that the whole thing was filmed. 
And then a couple days later, their phones start blowing up because it turns out the girl was not actually blind. She was pretending and they were secretly being filmed for this experiment. And the video went on YouTube as part of this series on YouTube. Yes. And... And they were the only ones that stopped to help her. Oh, I didn't even read that part. They yes. were the only ones. They were the only people who stopped to help her. And I have to say, here's, a, here's just kind of another interesting tidbit. When you look at the photograph on here, there's four elders and there's two sisters. Right. Well, one of the sisters there in the photograph that's wearing a blue dress, mm -hmm. and she actually, if you watch the video, she is the one, after the elders approach this, blind, this allegedly blind person and start talking to her, she's the one that says, hey, take my arm. And she leads mm -hmm. her over to where this girl wants to go. Mm -hmm. And they get her situated. She's in my ward. What? I know. She's actually- She's from your ward here? She is from my <laughs> ward here. Her name is Sister Larson. Um, I think that this is, even though it just got posted this week mm -hmm. on the This Weekend Mormon site, I think that this is a little bit of an older story because she's been home for her from her mission for a few months now, oh. but she served in Taiwan and that's Heidi. And I was like, holy cow, that's Heidi right there. So, well, that's fun. I know. I thought it was really fun. Anyways, so. good story. There's some good, good press for members of the church because now we have a lot of bad press that exactly. we're dealing with. <laughs> exactly. So we, uh, you know, we were joking beforehand that uh, we should title this episode Bad Actors because we have a number of bad actors. Now, if you listen to our podcast regularly, we have a section that we call Mormons Behaving Badly. Now, we have a story for that section, which we will get to a little bit later. But before we even get to that section, we have other, more, other members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints a.k.a. Mormons, who are behaving badly that we need to discuss. A whole bunch. We always say this, they come in spurts. They really do, because we had a, a month in, I think, July, where we didn't have any mm -hmm. Mormons behaving badly. But, you know, the, the gloves are off and they're out in full force. Okay, so I'm going to talk about three stories uh, in quick succession here that have happened. Um, the first story involves a Hillsboro driver's ed teacher and Bishop is arrested for sexual abuse. And so when I saw this, I knew that Hillsboro was somewhat close to where you used to live in Oregon. Yep. So I immediately called you up and I said, do you know this dude? And you did not know him. No, different stake. Different stake. <laughs> anyway, so he was a driver's education teacher and Mormon Bishop, and he was arrested for sexually abusing girls under 15. Now, there's a good news and bad news scenario to this. The good news scenario is that as of now, there's no allegations that he was abusing girls in his calling as bishop. The abuse occur occurred in his professional uh, career where he was a driver's ed instructor. And he would allegedly uh, grope these girls um, while they were taking practice tests. And he would also make them perform jumping jacks and try and record it on his cell phone. So um, the allegations range from 2012 to 2018. In 2018, he was removed from his position with his job, but he was still the bishop. They didn't remove right. him as bishop until he got arrested. And so... And nobody knows if it didn't, the article didn't say, well, the article didn't even yeah. talk about his church much, yes. but we're curious if any word got back as to why he was removed for his, from his job or if he just hit it and was yeah. like, ah, I'm 
changing jobs. Exactly. Exactly. Because, you know, if he kept it under wraps and nobody knew that he was um, removed from his position because of these allegations, then you wouldn't expect a release. But if it was known that he was removed because of these allegations and they still allowed him to continue to be bishop until he was arrested, that doesn't sit well. But Again, we don't we know. Don't know. And I would think in this day and age with everything going on lately, I would think they would have yanked him so fast. I, I would mean, think so like too. they did with the mission president. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah. that's that's our first bad actor. These are these are all white male bad actors. That's so add. scary though. Can you imagine if you're in that ward? I am like calling my teenage daughter in and being yeah. like, So tell me everything. <laughs> yeah. Like have you had any like that's exactly. terrifying. Exactly. Well, I think it's I think it's equal parts terrifying and equal parts disbelieving because mm-hmm. I'm going to assume like most bishops, I mean most bishops are pretty much beloved by the members in their right. ward. You yeah. come to love that bishop. And so when you hear those allegations like that, you have a hard time connecting the person that you know and love as your bishop with the person who is alleged to have engaged in very serious misconduct. Yeah. And so, um, so yeah, not only are you hauling your kid in and asking him questions, but I think at the same time, you know, it's messing with your own mind going, but I, that's not, that's mm-hmm. not the person I know. Right. And just proves that, you know, we are multifaceted individuals and can have, mm-hmm. uh, you know, sometimes what we know is not always what is true. So that brings us to bad actor number two. So bad actor number two is a local chiropractor in St. George, and he was arrested um, after the department, the Division of Occupational and Professional Licensing received several reports of sexual misconduct. Um, as part of his chiropractic services, he believed that massaging breasts and breast exams were necessary to treat his patients. However, he had some patients that disagreed that maybe that wasn't the best practice. Um, he practiced this one particular type of chiropractic services, National Upper, Upper Cervical Chiropractic Association. It's a method designed to free the nervous system. He was the only chiropractor in the area that practiced that. So the patients kind of really didn't know better unless right. they had either been to another chiropractor or some of them subsequently went to another chiropractor that practiced that and then realized his exam was maybe not so good. So he was arrested. At first he denied it. And then he ultimately said, well, maybe some of my exams were outside the practice and of what I should be doing. So the article does not reference that he is Mormon, but I looked, took one look at his picture and I was like, oh, dude is so Mormon. So of course I looked up his Facebook page <laughs> and he's referencing his mission and he can't believe it's been X number of years oh. since he's been home from his mission. Dude is so Mormon. So then we have bad actor number three. Bad actor number three, and Jeff and Jana talked about this, but they didn't quite have all the facts right. Or Jeff and Josie. Jeff and Josie, mm-hmm. exactly. Jeff and Josie talked about this. 
So there was a gentleman from the Sandy area that was traveling to Nashville to pick up his son from his mission. Um, he was a councilman in Utah. Uh, he and his family are doing some shopping. He's in the H&M. He leads this lady into a dressing booth in H&M, then goes into the dressing booth next to her, puts his phone up there and starts to record her. She happens to see the phone. She quickly puts on her clothes. She comes out of the booth. He's trying to erase what he has recorded. She is smart and she smacks that phone right out of his hand, goes running up to the front of the store saying, this guy's recording me. The guy and his wife come up and say, hey, do we really have to make a big deal about this? And he ends up getting arrested as well as released from his calling, so to speak. So anyway, then... That brings us to an article by Jana Reese. So Jana Reese this past week wrote a a pretty strongly opinion article about uh, the reason these men are acting out. Seriously. <laughs> so the title of her article, and this was on Flunking Sainthood, um, the title of her article was Mormon men are groomed not to listen to women. And this was an opinion piece uh, by Jana Reese. And so she starts out by talking about the lady. And there's another article that I wanted to mention okay. that go, dives deeper into this. But the woman's name is Lavina Anderson. And she was excommunicated back in 1993 when there was a she was what do they call it? The September sixth. September sixth. Back in nineteen in the nineties, they were six intellectuals who had kind of challenged the church on right. certain matters, publicly challenged right. the church, church history stuff, some of it, yes. feminism stuff, exactly. a little bit. Anyway, she was one of these that got excommunicated because she had written some type of uh, article and c- citation, big article. And they did not like what she wrote. And so she got excommunicated. Uh, So the Salt Lake Tribune had a big article on her this past week that was actually really interesting. It was very interesting. Telling her story. So she recently reapplied her locally. She's been going to church ever since this happened, which I think is amazing. Absolutely amazing. It never impacted her testimony. She still believes the church is true. She goes every week. She obviously can't participate in the sacrament Mm -hmm. or other things in the ward or or have callings. But I think she can sing in the choir. Mm -hmm. I think that's what they said. She can accept accept assignments, you know. So she can come help set up tables and chairs, but she's there every Sunday in the church pews. I know. Isn't that amazing? That's really amazing. She says in the article, like, her faith is the same. It's never wavered. Her faith in Heavenly Father and the plan and the gospel. Yes. So her local leaders recently encouraged her to reapply uh, for membership yes. to get rebaptized. So she passed the local level and then it went on to first presidency and got denied. Got denied. So she did not get to be rebaptized, um, which and is sad. It's really sad. But the cool thing was, and she says in the Salt Lake Tribune article, because I mean, it, it, it certainly, and we don't, you know, obviously we don't know why the first presidency denied. They may have a very legitimate right. reason we are not aware of. We don't know all the details. We, you know, but based on what we do know, it, it, it seems like she shouldn't have been denied, but she says, doesn't matter. Next Sunday, you'll find me sitting in the church pew, just as I always do. Mm-hmm. Right, which yes. is amazing. It's a, absolutely amazing to 
go all these years and then be denied and just be like, well, I'm going to keep going. Yeah. And and I think it's a testament to the fact that her testimony and her faith is not wavering. Right. And it's not based in church leadership or decisions. It's truly based on the Savior. Exactly. And the gospel. Exactly. So anyway, back to Jana Reese's article. She mentions She does start out the article talking about Lavina. She talks about Lavina and her case and how she was denied. And um, then she kind of brings it back to, I think, probably comparing like, how are we treating the women versus the men? Yes. And she does bring up a couple of these cases. She brings up the guy, uh, the bishop. In Oregon. The driver's ed teacher. And she does say, you know, the church is getting much better about quickly disciplining these. But she brings it back to, in her opinion, the reality is men are groomed within the church to not listen to women or, and not purposefully. Yeah. Just not not intentionally. It's just culturally. Subliminally. Culturally how we are. Right. Um, it just culturally, the fact that women are never in leadership over men or in, even really partnered with men. Exactly. That exactly. Subliminally, men are sent the message that they're more important or. Yeah. Well, and she says men are conditioned at church to see women as ancillary to decision making. And again, I don't think there is intent on that part. No. I think I think it is just culturally, I mean how our church is structured. Right. And there very much is a division between the responsibilities of the men and the responsibilities of the women. But again, I mean I I know that I have been in a number of situations um in my work in the church where I have definitely felt like my voice was not given the same weight that a male counterpoint's voice was given. Yeah. And I probably see that a little more acutely just because in my work environment, my voice is given equal, I mean, not always, but more often than it is at church, given equal weight to a male counterpoint. So when that happens at church, it's, it's more blaring for me. Yeah. You know, it isn't one of those things that I, you know, go stomping off and get mad about and take offense to it because I understand where it comes from. I think that we have definitely improved over the years, mm-hmm. um, from where we used to be, but still it, inherently, I, I think it comes back to leadership and the fact so that too. all leadership in our church is male dominated. And so it, by that fact alone, it, it creates right. this. And it's not purposeful, but no. some, sometimes it's just a numbers game. Yeah. When you're in ward council and there are three women and, you know, 10 men. Yeah. It's, it feels. Like you may not exactly. be being heard as much. Exactly. Well, and do you remember, I wrote an article on this, I think back in in April, I think it was in April, that Sister Bingham at Women's Conference, was it Sister Bingham at Women's Conference, oh, who was right. telling a story <laughs> yes. where she was working with male leadership and she was very frustrated and she would come home and her husband would say, was that another purse slamming meeting? Mm-hmm. And she talks about how she had to 
readjust her attitude and learn to engage with him Mm -hmm. so that she wouldn't be frustrated. Um, Which again, you know, kudos to her for doing that. I always encourage my kids and myself to, you know, what can I do in this situation to change? Right. What can I control? What can I control? What can't I control? Exactly. But at the same time, Mm -hmm. you know, are we doing a disservice for the men to understand that maybe some of how some of their behaviors impact the sisters? Because shouldn't they be equally responsible for the things that they do and say that have a negative impact that they are perhaps unaware of because they're culturally conditioned in a certain way? Right. Yeah. So anyway... Jenna Reese's article. Yes. It's pretty, pretty opinionated. It is very opinionated. Probably very polarizing. <laughs> very polarizing. There's a lot of comments on this on the TWIM there uh, really are. Facebook page when they reposted it. Exactly. So. And, and I'm certainly not saying that our three mm-hmm. bad male actors behaved this way because they no. had church positions. I mean, they clearly have some other issues. It was just interesting because Jana Reese pulled in their behavior uh, to illustrate this. And I think there probably maybe could have been maybe some better examples right. of that. But yeah. at the same time, I want to say, and certainly sexually inappropriate behavior is not limited to only Mormon men, but I certainly want to say to the white men out there of our church, Keep your hands to yourselves. <laughs> it's not that difficult, folks. <laughs> Definitely. And you're making the good ones look bad. Exactly, because there are lots of good ones out there. There are. And there are lots of good ones in leadership that are trying more and more yes. to include women. Yes, um, definitely. I do think that's happening yeah. more. I do think so, too. I think as we as a culture shift mm-hmm. to, like I said, make women's voices be more heard because I certainly think in a professional sense that my voice is much more heard today than it was in the nineties when I first started practicing law. Mm -hmm. And so I think that as we, as a culture shift that that naturally occurs within the church, it's just a slow shift. It's slow. The, the, the speed of the train on this is not rapid. (laughs) (laughs) That is true. All right. We have next, you have a little article, a little BYU. Yes, BYU. So um, you may recall, um, so BYU has its own police department, and they are post-certified by the state, and they have authority to uh, police and patrol the BYU campus. They can make arrests on the BYU campus. They can issue tickets on the BYU campus. They can do anything on BYU grounds. They're... Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, certified to do that, uh, that a regular police officer could do. Well, they they were certified. (laughs) They were certified. Well, that is under question. That is under question right now. But but originally, that's how (laughs) this all came about. So there were some questions back in 2016 about BYU police officers accessing information So because they are BYU police officers, they had access to, I believe, the, um, I don't know if it was the Utah County database or if it was the Provo City database, they were able to see reports and things that were made by other agencies. Mm -hmm. And so there was a victim of a sexual assault who filed a police report, not with the BYU police department, but I believe with another agency, if I recall correctly. And... um, 
the BYU um, uh, honor code reached out to this particular officer and said, hey, can you find out what she reported to the Provo Police Department Mm -hmm. and let us know? So he goes and finds Provo Police Department's records and he shares those with the honor code office. And apparently that was quite a common practice that there was a history of emails and information going back and forth. So a very smart reporter from the Salt Lake Tribune said, well, those would be open meeting records and or not open meeting records, but records open to public information, public information mm-hmm. under the government records management access. It's called ga- grandma, grandma, I believe, gamma. Um, request. And so they filed a request to receive those records. BYU denied it. Um, then there was, they filed a second request because there is, there was a new law, SB 197, that took effect in May of 2018, mm-hmm. stating that while BYU is a private university, its police department is considered a governmental entity and therefore subject to public records requests like every other law enforcement agency. Right. Because when the Tribune filed the first request, BYU said, we're private, we don't have to send it to you. So then the law changed, and then they filed a second records request, and BYU um, was ordered to show up to a commission. There's a Utah Records Commission that if you make a grandma request and the grandma request is denied or not very much information is given, you can appeal to this commission before you have to go to court. So they appealed to this commission. The commission told BYU, you're going to show up at the hearing and you're going to bring your records. Right. Well, BYU shows up at the hearing and they don't bring their records. They only bring a few records. And the commission says, <laughs> no, 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 no. We don't think you understood our request. Right. We want all your records. We want them unredacted. You're going to turn them over to us and we will decide if these are public records. And BYU said, yeah, no, we're not going to do that. And so they are now um, probably going to result in this action moving to court. Now, here's what I find so interesting about this. Mm-hmm. You know, BYU touts its honor code and many individuals who are supportive of the honor code say, well, you knew the honor code. If you didn't want to abide by the honor code, you don't have to be here. Mm -hmm. Well, I want to say to the BYU police department and their records, you knew that you were going to be uh, subject to a public agency when you wanted certification to be the police department. So if you don't want to have your own police department, then and have to reveal your records, then get rid of your police department. (laughs) You know, if you're going to live by the sword, you need to die by the sword. Right. So those will be interesting to see. They're just, they're going to hash it out in court for they're going to have to a hash, long time. They're going to have like. to hash it out in court mm-hmm. uh, because it said that uh, the university may appeal the matter and move it to courts. I think they will. I don't think they want to turn over those records. I think they want to maintain that these are private records, that they don't have to turn them over. And so I do think ultimately a court is going to have to determine if police records kept by a state certified police department are a public record subject to inspection under grandma. Right. And then in the meantime, they're still fighting, keeping their certification. Exactly. Like that is still in the court system also, right? That is still in the court system as well. So they're in all kinds of trouble right now. They're currently appealing the Utah commissioner of public safety's, uh, uh, attempt to decertify the police force. Hmm. So they haven't decertified their police force yet, but the commissioner of public safety is trying to do that. And they're fighting that battle as well. 
can they decertify their uh, parking police? <laughs> because I had several run-ins with them while I was at BYU, and I would really appreciate them being decertified. You know, that is a really good question because, um, you know, and, and, and I know that they could look up your license plate and then they could, you know, send you tickets to your house. And, and so I wonder if the parking people fell under the certification of the police department so that they could then enforce. I don't know, because when I went payment to of tickets? pay my parking tickets, I did have to go to the location where the BYU police department was housed. I don't know if that means anything. But See, can you tell I have a lot of parking tickets while I was there? I, exactly. I am guessing that their parking enforcement fell under their uh, police certification so that they can enforce those. Because a lot of times, you know, for example, I got a ticket in a private parking lot a couple of weeks, oh, probably, I don't know, four or five months ago. Mm-hmm. And I just ripped the thing up. I'm like, this is a private parking lot. <laughs> you can't, you know, you might boot my car next no time I'm here. to issue a ticket. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You know, and it looked just like a regular ticket, like oh. what you would receive, like from the, from the meter person. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, I, I knew it was a private lot and the worst they could do was boot me if I ever came in again, they have any enforcement action, you know, that they can mm-hmm. take against it. So like I said, I, I probably used that for Fire kindling. <laughs> mm, funny. Okay. Um, well, in other university news. Since we're the, staying on trend. Within the Utah Valley. This isn't really news, but the UVU paper published like a short little article about the gun policy. Yes. And how it affects the Institute of Religion at UVU, which has 7,000 students attending Ooh. it. Now, when we say gun policy, we're talking the church's, the church's. stance against don't bring your guns to sacrament meetings. Yes. Basically, the article said that students and staff at UVU that have a concealed firearm are still allowed to possess it. But obviously, Institute is a church building, so they're not supposed to have it at Institute. And they just, you know, interviewed a couple of students. One of them said, I don't think I'm going to feel safe not knowing that someone in my class will have a gun to protect us. <laughs> then another student said, well, I carry my knife with me wherever I go. But I will no longer bring my knife to institute class because I've been asked not to. (laughs) So then that begs the question of, I mean, there are knives and then there are knives. Right. You know. How specific do we need to get here? How specific do we need? uh, Okay. Like a gun. All right. We can identify a gun, you know, and determine, okay, that's a deadly weapon. (laughs) But, you know, our dad carried a pocket knife around. I'm okay with people having knives because I'm, knives are not going to accidentally fire. Like, remember the guy in Utah that used to be in your ward? Yes. <laughs> that accidentally fired his gun at church? Exactly. Exactly. You can't really accidentally stab someone with a knife, it's, right? It's a little harder <laughs> to accidentally stab someone with a knife. I agree. I don't have an issue with knives. Yeah. You bring your bring your knives to church. I mean, probably not your sword. Not your machete. <laughs> not Just your, your machete. pocket knife. It's okay. But a lovely pocket knife. I don't have a problem with that. <laughs> I agree. Okay. All right. Well, the next story we have is actually a really cute one. This is a couple that was in Idaho Falls. Yes. 
And they had been married for 68 years and they passed away eight days apart. Yes. So it was actually... This is a, actually a heartwarming story, even though it doesn't sound even like it. Even though we're talking about death, this one was very sweet. It, it made me warm and fuzzy. Yes. So there was just this couple in Idaho Falls, um, the husband, what was their name? Delmar and Myrna. Now, are those are those old-fashioned names or what? I love it. Delmar and Myrna Anderson. So they're in a senior living facility. Yeah, they're in a senior living facility. He suffered from dementia pretty bad, and I think he was in the hospital at the time and when she passed away and he was devastated. They he said, was. even though he had dementia, when the kids went and told him yeah. what happened at the hospital, he was sobbing and he was sad. Um, well, and the other thing too, is there was nothing to indicate that she was going to pass away. Mm-mm. Her daughter calls her at one morning, calls her in the morning and she says, Oh, I'm not feeling more very well. I'm still in bed. Her daughter thinks, okay, well, that's odd because usually my mom is up. And so she called her brother and said, hey, go check on mom. And by the time he got there, she had passed away. Right. So So they got him up and took him to the funeral for his wife. And he had an incident actually at the funeral. He did. Where they thought they had lost him. He was curled over in his wheelchair and they thought they'd lost him, but they got him revived again. Uh, now, now this is really interesting how they got him revived. So, so they're wheeling, they're, they're about to wheel him out. They've completed the funeral. It looks like he's sleeping. The pallbearers take her casket out. They're about to wheel him out and he wasn't moving. And so the daughter says, I stopped the music and said to everyone in the chapel, he's gone. <sighs> so they take him out of the wheelchair and they lay him on the bench. One of her brothers gives him a blessing and all of a sudden he starts coughing. So he really wasn't gone. He's back. He's back. <laughs> but not for very long. A couple days later, it sounds like they took him home uh, okay. to their house. But I do have to say another funny point that uh, this lady who was telling this story is really kind of funny. She says, you know, it was kind of shocking after he kind of came back to life because they checked for a pulse for him. And she's thinking to myself, I have to finish my mother's funeral and my dad's lying here on the bench. And I wasn't even thinking. So I told everybody, hey, come back for lunch. We've got a lot of food here. (laughs) I thought that was hilarious because that is totally something I would do. I would be like, okay, I have tables and a ton of food. Please don't leave. Don't don't, leave. Don't leave. Please. Eat the food. Eat the food. (laughs) Because I don't want to have to deal with that. That's true. That's true. Anyway, go on. Oh, anyway. So um, a couple of days later, he passed and they said that they could hear him talking uh, in the room next door saying, oh, they sent you down. I can see you. I can feel you. Uh, they felt like maybe he was talking to s- spirits on the yes. other side. And then also he started giving direct counsel to some of his grandchildren, yes. which with his dementia, he hadn't recognized yeah. up until this moment exactly. for several years. So that was kind of cool. Anyway, so he passed away and then they are having his funeral. This week in the I same know. chapel. So it's sad, but sweet because it's, they didn't have to be apart for very long. It's, I think it's so sweet. You know, mm-hmm. clearly 68 years of marriage, they loved each other a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, probably very heartbreaking to be physically separated. So right. glad that they got to go quickly and together. Yes. 
All right, there is a funny meme circulating around, and Jeff posted this on the uh, This Week in Mormon's Facebook page if you want to see it. It was originally posted by a gentleman named Hank R. Smith, and it is a photograph. And in this photograph, um, President Nelson and Wendy stand in the middle, or Sister Nelson, I should say, and there's two men on the side of Wendy and one man on the side of President Nelson. Now, if you look closely at the man standing on President Nelson's side, he might look a bit familiar if you've been to the temple recently and you've watched a film in the temple. You might recognize him. And the caption says, how did they allow Lucifer so close to the prophet on his birthday? Where's church security? So funny. I thought that was hilarious. I feel like every once in a while, a picture will surface on Facebook with one of the characters. From the temple. From the videos. And everybody gets so excited. It's really true. It's like so weird to see them out of their element. It is. It's very true because you kind of get used to seeing them in that element. Okay. So next article. This is a funny one. I can't go. We're running out of time, so I can't go over it all. But go read it because it's funny. Uh, This was done by Johnny Townsend, and it was on Cultural Hall. Yes, but it was it was an, an opinion piece he did for the Salt Lake Tribune. Right. And he said, let's all start wearing shorts to church. This is his answer to global warming. Yes. And lowering our energy consumption is we're all going to wear shorts so, to church. Yes. He's being very clever, trying to tie his, his desire for short, shorts into church into energy consumption. Because, you know, why not? Exactly. He's saying, hey, we diss the tie. We diss the pants. We can up the temperature a little bit more. We don't have to keep the AC so low. And quite honestly, I believe there are some women who would be supportive of that. Because have you ever seen the never-ending summertime where there's um, the sister goes and turns the air conditioner yes. up and the brother goes and turns it down? It goes up, it goes down, it goes yes. up, it goes down. The yo-yo of the temperature in the church. Yes. Exactly. So true. We could we could discuss that for hours. Oh, yeah, we Good. Anyway, it's funny. He just talks about how standards have changed over the years. So exactly. why can't we change the standard to shorts? And the, my funny, the funniest line was he said, knees are not sex or organs, neither are shoulders. Let's stop teaching our sons to swoon when they see them. Because <laughs> he's, he's <sighs> making an argument for, let's get rid of sleeves and garments and let the sisters yeah. go sleeveless. While we're at it. While so, we're at it. Anyway, it was funny. Very, very clever. What's next? All right. Now I will do, despite the bad actors we dis- discussed earlier, I do have a nominee for Mormons Behaving Badly. And this one involves a woman, not necessarily a man. And so this woman by the name of Jennifer Erin Talbot, she is from Utah. She goes over to Manila, Philippines, and um, she gets a baby over there, a six-day-old baby, and she tries to sneak this baby out of the country in a sling bag, and she was arrested for human trafficking. Um, She had a piece of paper allegedly signed by the mother uh, saying that she was giving consent for the baby to travel to the U.S., Um, or actually it wasn't signed by the mother, it was just a piece of paper, but none of the other documents had been um, Mm -hmm. provided. And there's all sorts of paperwork and things if you're going to take a child out. So the officers are questioning her as to what she intended to do with the baby. And this is at the airport when she's trying to fly home. This is at the airport when she's trying to fly home. And they said, what is your intent with the baby? And she replied that she just wanted to give it a name and a church blessing. (laughs) 
That's how we knew she was a member of the church because I'm reading this article going, well, she's from Utah, so odds are high. Yes. But it didn't say anything until the end. I was like, oh, yep, she's a member. She's a member. (laughs) Because, you know, we don't have any affiliation in the Philippines or anything. I'm saying that sarcastically. <laughs> anyway, she's in seriously big trouble. She's in seriously like big trouble. Like they arrested her for human trafficking. She could face up to life. The maximum penalty is up to life imprisonment. So wow. Don't try and sneak babies out of foreign countries. No, don't try to do that. I'm super curious what the story is here. Yeah. Like, how did she know these people that were giving exactly. her the baby? Exactly. The did article. she serve a mission in the Philippines 10 years ago? Yeah. Did she know. speak the language? I'm just super are, curious. There How are a lot of unanswered about? questions. Yes, there are. All right. Favorite things. Okay. Are you going first or am I? I will go first. Okay. So my favorite thing this month is actually a pair of jeans. Oh. Ladies jeans. Sorry to our gentlemen listeners. This does not apply to you. <laughs> Mine so, will. <laughs> so, um... I, it might apply if they're wanting to get their wives a comfortable pair of jeans that, that come true. highly recommended. That is true. Okay. So first, I have to say, I hate buying jeans. Hate it with passion. It is almost as bad as shopping for a swimsuit for it's me. so true. I tried on jeans a couple of weeks ago and it was the first time in a while. And I was like, yeah, I'd rather slip my wrist and bleed out. And I don't know why it's so bad because other pants are fine, but jeans Ugh. are a problem. Okay. So, Oh, good. Then I'm excited to hear what your solution yes. is. So I had seen these jeans on a list several months ago of like the best Amazon fashion finds. Oh, really? And then they popped up again about two weeks ago on just a blogger I follow. Okay. Was talking about these jeans. They are Levi's. Okay. I have not owned a pair of Levi's since college. Uh, 501s in high school. <laughs> these are Levi's, Levi Strauss Signature Modern Skinny is the name okay. of the jean. So they sell them on Amazon. Okay. They also sell them on or at Walmart. Okay. So did you buy yours at Amazon or Walmart? I bought mine at Walmart because then I could take them back if they didn't fit. Okay. Because that's that would be my biggest thing is, mm-hmm. you know, probably, you know, very... I try on so many jeans before I even get one that I like that I yeah. would be hesitant to order anything on lo- online because I'd want to try it on first. Yeah. No. So, so same thing. And they're about the same price on Amazon and Walmart. Okay. They so are what only are we talking $20. Point? Oh. And it says they're stretchy. Yeah. So they're stretchy. They are clearly made for a curvy girl. Okay. I'm a curvy girl. Okay. <laughs> and the material is, it's got like just enough stretch and it's thin enough. That it doesn't oh. bother me because I hate it when the the denim is just too thick. Yes, and not stretchy or flexible yes. at all. Yes. The other thing I like is where they hit on your oh. waist. They come up high enough that they're not like a low rider. So you don't have you don't have garment gappage. Yes, and not too high. Oh. They hit like a real good like natural waist. Good um, to know. So anyways. Well, I might have to check those out then. And they come in all sizes, regular plus size, and they have lots of different washes. They have a black, a dark wash, a light wash. They might have one more, but. Oh, I may have to go check those out because so, I've yeah. been trying to find some jeans and not been, not been successful. In fact, been, been disappointed and mm-hmm. very un- unhappy. Yeah. Try them out. Okay. They are signature Levi Strauss modern skinny jean. Okay. 
All right, and you yours? put a picture of the tag up in our on our Instagram account. Yes, okay. We need to update our Instagram account with favorites. All right, mine is the Brady Bunch. As you know, that is one of my favorite television shows yes. as a kid. I have every episode memorized. I'm a trivia buff when it comes to the Brady Bunch. Um, HGTV bought their house that was used for the exterior shots and redid it to uh, make it exactly like the set. Yes, I've and been waiting to watch this. So Did you watch it? I have. I've been watching all sorts of the promo episodes. Mm-hmm. I have not had a chance just because I've been super busy to watch the actual episode. But a lot of the little promos here and there that they showed, mm-hmm. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to love this. I have read a couple of articles and seen some of the pictures. I'm I'm very excited to watch this because I'm fascinated how they took this house that from the exterior is not looks like it's not constructed the way the interior of the set was and how they did this. And so that is my plug is I'm going to go watch the HGTV Brady Bunch special. I'm going to encourage everyone else to do that as well. Yeah. I want to check that out. Okay. So, all right. Well, I think that wraps it up for us. I think that's it for the month of September for us, but keep listening because Jeff will be back next week with some unknown guest. Do we know who it is yet? I don't think we know who it is yet, but I also got an email from him that we're going to do our traditional conference wrap up. So in a couple of weeks after conference, that's coming up pretty soon. Twim Nation, you have a lot to look forward to. We appreciate you joining us and uh, be sure to find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all of those social media places. That's right. Thanks for listening. This is my story. My name's K-Dog. I've had worse luck in love than them all. Love to me is like a, a dandelion being choked by big thorny weeds. Got home off my mission. Met this girl I thought was pretty. Didn't notice her horse teeth. I thought she was pretty. Didn't notice that she had a bad spirit about her. And so I started dating her. I thought I was in love. I loved her. I thought she loved me too. I came to BYU.
Jeff, I'd like to apologize for what you just heard. This was a special gift from Keith, Ariane's husband, to her. And because I can be easily bought and manipulated, I decided to put it here at the end of the episode. Anyway, that's all. <laughs>